You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. My way through Philippians, and I just need to let you know that I'm Gary Brashears, and it was just pointed out to me fairly kindly that I am the old elder here at Grace. So that's how I address you here this morning. And uh, uh, so yeah, I'll just try to stand up the whole time. <laughs> We're thinking here as we work through Philippians how to live as children of God, kind of in the middle of a real key section. So what I'd like to do is come back and pick up with where Jay was two weeks ago. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, uh, take a look at Philippians chapter 2. I want to go back and start back at verse 1 and go down through verse 18, just to put a context on what we're doing in this incredibly powerful time. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider his equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee would bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who is at work in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in this warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like them stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life and I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. And even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of God for us to ponder together here this morning. Such a powerful passage. Coming back and thinking where Jay took us two weeks ago and that incredible Christ hymn there at the beginning, 
We're talking about the mindset of Jesus Christ, the empowerment, the example, the expression of his humility. It's such an incredible thing to think about God himself. God himself with all the perks, all the privileges, all the prerogatives, all the status, all the honor of divinity. Leaving that behind, putting his prerogatives like in his pocket. Giving up his omnipresence and omnipotence, all those kinds of things. Giving up use of those things to come and live as a fully spirit-filled human. Enduring all the trash of this life and more. That's that example of humility. So he says, have this mind in you. The oneness in spirit, the oneness in mind, the way we think, the way we value things from being in Christ. And that's the center. It's in all the different things that are among us. The unity that comes in Christ, number one, experience the reality of God's love, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That's the unity that comes as Jay took it. So what we do is we're living in unison and in harmony. Now, I'm an old guy. I remember when we used to have choirs in church. Do you miss choirs beside me? Three of you. The rest of you are really glad that they're gone. Yeah. That behind the curtain, it's an organ. It, you know, it's... No, it's not. <laughs> but I you know, remember my days of singing choirs. There would be those times when the whole choir would sing one melody line. And there was incredible power of the centrality of that one line that came through. And we're like that as a church sometimes. But there are other times, and most of the time, when the choir would sing in many parts, but they'll be around one theme, and in the rich diversity of the harmony that comes between them, there was an even greater beauty and power than the unity of a single line of the melody. And that expresses what we do as a church here at Grace and as the body of Christ. We revel, revel in the diversity when it comes together in that harmony or on the central theme of Jesus in the gospel. And there's an exquisite beauty that happens. That's what Paul is talking about here. But he goes on. As you've always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation. That's the responsibility on me that Jay helped to see last week. And it's with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. And that's that tension between the God who works, which is the foundation, and then our working out that makes that work. And what we're talking about here is we are working out his work to fulfill his good purpose. So unpacking that just a little bit further, as Jay helped us see, we are doing how many things? How many things? All things with an obedient spirit. And I look at our society today, and I see in our world anything but an obedient spirit. In fact, if you are a good citizen of the United States right now, your watchword is not obedient, it is what? Resist. But Paul is talking us because of the power of Jesus Christ and who we respond to, to live with an obedient spirit. Now, obedient spirit is not just slavish 
compliance with laws, but rather the spirit-empowered, responsive work that comes with those who are children of God, an obedient spirit, a responsible will with fear and trembling. I think of the 15-year-old boy who set off the Eagle Creek fire, throwing fireworks, apparently, into the gorge out there. And one of those fireworks set off a fire that so devastated the gorge. As Sherry and I drove through there yesterday, as soon as 84 was open, we were on the road to drive out and take a look. Go both ways on 84, it was grim. Elizabeth Holda, who's one of my favorite local columnists, writes for the Oregonian, had a column this morning just responding to the number of people who are demanding that that boy's name be given out so we can hate him. She correctly said, no, his name should not be given out. But she noted he's 15. And she remembered what she did when she was 15. But see, what would the difference be if 15-year-olds worked from an obedient spirit in a wise family, in a wise church to help them wrestle with the growing independence, but to do with an obedient, responsive spirit so you wouldn't end up throwing smoke bombs into a creek basin and set off a fire? That's what we're talking about. And there's a fear and trembling because our silliness may set off a fire. Work has good purpose. We live who and what we are. Ephesians 5.8, you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, live as children of light. Live who you are. We are children of God. We do have the new heart. We do have the empowering Holy Spirit. We do have the body of Christ. We live who we are. And that reality is why we live what we do. Now, we've got the alien presence, the flesh, the world, the devil, that oppose that. But fundamentally, we're living out who we are. And there's a direction that comes out, and we're, because we are part of that family, we welcome his work in us. Jay helped us see that so well last week. If you weren't here, go back and listen to the podcast. It was excellent. Those are the first verses. But we're focusing today. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. You become blameless and pure, children of God, without farped and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will sign among them like stars in the sky. And so you put the list here. You just break it down, grumbling argument. Be blameless and pure, children of God. Perverse, crooked generation. Sign among them, holding firmly the word of life. And all done in the context of living for the day when every knee will bow. And when I first started working with this passage... I thought, well, this could be the simplest sermon in the world. I just read the passage, say, go do it, and say, amen, it's done. (laughs) Really simple. But what happens there is this entire passage, these verses here, are full of emotive language. And I think what happens, what were you doing on that Labor Day Saturday when the Eagle Creek fire broke out? Sunday morning, I was flying back from a trip with my son, and I saw the fire from the air as the airplane landed, and it exploded. Jordan and Kristen Smiths were evacuated from their home. Others were 
where their films could have been burned and what a response to that. And the efforts of the firefighters, I look at this picture and I think of that one little bucket hanging from a helicopter in a sea of fire and smoke and it seems so pointless. I saw this yesterday as I drove through the old highway, just devastated. One of my favorite places out there, the Onanta Gorge and the tunnel there that just opened just a few years ago. I love to park my car there on the old highway and walk through that tunnel and see the gorge. Well, this is the way it looks now. It'll be a long time before we walk through that tunnel again. Just a tragedy. Along the falls, the lodge, fire coming toward it, danger, what an odd thing. Firefighters came, this is Twalton Valley came, Portland Fire was there too. Fire came within 30 yards of the lodge. But they won. And you look at this and there's an odd beauty that's around the fire. I mean, it's terribly, terribly destructive. But there's a, I don't know how to say it, there's this beauty that comes with it that draws you in. Even if you know this is a destructive force unleashed. But that destructive force, oh my. And it impacted us here. Now, I need to know how many obeyed God. When the smoke invaded our valley here, how many did not grumble, not even once? <laughs> Anybody? Any bit obey God and not grumble? I grumbled big time. See, this is the kind of emotion. I'm going to geek out a little bit here. So if you're not a geeker, just calm down, wait about eight minutes, I'll be back. <laughs> but I want to show you why some of the emotive language that comes here, because Paul is using extremely emotional language here. If you know a little bit of the story of Israel, you see where the geeking, or where the emotion comes from. This word grumbling takes you back to Exodus 16. These are the people of Israel who have been rescued from slavery by 10 incredible miracles of God, taken through the Red Sea on dry ground, and then watch the Egyptian armies being destroyed by that same sea. A couple days later, they're in the wilderness. The desert of Sin, it's desert. The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said, if you'd only died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, we'd have sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us out here in the desert to starve to death. Grumbling. What did they seen just a couple days before? How's God respond? Moses said, you all know that it was the Lord who gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. He responds by blessing them in their grumbling. Grumbling arguing, chapter 17. A few days later, they leave the desert of Sin. They go to the place of Rephidim. There was no water. They argued with Moses, said, give us water to drink. They grumbled, said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children livestock die of thirst? God's response. God in front of the people, take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and split the Red Sea. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb's, touch the rock, strike the rock, and the water will come out of it for the people to drink. They went to Sinai, stayed there for a year, heard the word of the Lord, left to go to Kadesh Barnea. 
sent the spies in the land. And remember, the spies came back and said, big cities, powerful armies, beautiful place. We're like grasshoppers. They're going to kill us. Ten of the spies. So the Lord grumbled against Moses and Aaron and said to them, if only died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us out in this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Joshua and Caleb and Moses and Aaron said, no, we're children of the Lord. He'll go with us. And they picked up stones to stone them. God's response this time was a little different. Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Because see, that's what's behind the grumbling. That's what's behind the arguing. It's contempt for the God who rescues and provides and protects. How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. God's anger at being contempted actually makes perfect sense. Moses, again, prays. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you declared. And he quotes scripture back to God, God's own words. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving sin and rebellion, yet he does not give the guilty unpunished. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people just as you've pardoned them from this time until they left Egypt until now. And God says, I have forgiven them. As you've asked. But, as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt in the wilderness but disobeyed me and tested me ten times will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. See what's happening? There's a point when grumbling and contempting has that consequence. Now, God didn't give up on them. Quail, manna, protection of enemies... Even their shoes didn't wear out. But they died in the wilderness. They forfeited the blessing of being in the land. And what Paul is saying is, I don't want you to forfeit blessing by giving into the temptation to grumble and argue, contempting God. Instead, be blameless and pure. That reminds us of Abraham. 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless, loyal to Yahweh and doing the things he asks you. Then I will greatly increase your numbers. Job, God says about Job, he's proud of his servant Job. There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So this blameless and pure brings back those kinds of pictures Emotive language of highest level. Warped and crooked generation. Immediately, our minds hyperlink back to Deuteronomy 32. As Moses gives his speech to the people just before they go into the land. Before he goes to Mount Nebo to die. He warns the people, you've been so incredibly grumbling. With me here, what happens after I die? I fear for you. And he tells the people, I will proclaim the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. But they are corrupt, not his children. To their shame, they're a warped and crooked generation. See the emotive language? 
These are the people who are forfeiting the very blessing of God by their contemptuous grumbling. Paul says, don't do that. They were not a people. I want you to be children of God in the warped and crooked generation. Then you'll shine like the stars. And immediately Daniel comes to mind as we hyperlink back to that last chapter. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise, which is what he's asking for the people, will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. That's Paul's use of this emotive language to call us to the joy of being the mature children of God. How do you get there? Hold firmly to the word of life. And of course that immediately hyperlinks us back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema. The key confession of Israel, Shema Yisrael, Elohad, Elohim. Elohim, Elohim, Yahweh, Elohino, Yahweh, Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. There is one God. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These commandments I give today are beyond your hearts. Joshua, just as he stepped into the land, God reminds him, Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Be strong and courageous. Don't give in to the fears. Or be discouraged. Because you hold firmly to the word of who God is and what he has done. That's what his hope is for the people. You can see this simple three verses full of this hyperlinked emotive language because he wants the people to experience the full blessing of being children of God. So you look at this list, and that's what he's calling us to. He wants us to be the kind of people who are not only children of God, but mature, blessable, productive people of God. Something that helps me understand a little better how to do this, these six things, is to think of a distinction we've made before And that's the distinction between acceptance or membership in the family of Yahweh and knowing that that acceptance does not depend in any way on my character or behavior. Become a part of the family of God does not depend in any way on me establishing a suitable resume, of me doing something to earn God's attention. Rather, it depends totally on accepting his gift that comes through Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the one, highest place in heaven, left it, came to the hell of this world, experienced its worth, faithful to God, showed us how to live, spirit-filled lives, then he died to pay the penalty for our sins. So we wouldn't have to bear the guilt of those sins or the shame that comes through our own brokenness. Rose to newness of life. And in that newness of life, his resurrection, we just sang about that he gave us that same kind of newness. Then exalted the highest place above every throne, dominion, power, every demonic force. 
to defeat all those things that would harm us and then poured out the Holy Spirit. That's all a gift of God. How do you get this? How do you get the new life, the healing, the forgiveness, the cleansing of shame? Simply by saying yes to God when he says, well, I, you let me heal you. That's the acceptance, but it doesn't stop there. I love the first John three. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that's what we are. Amazing. But it doesn't stop there. Approval or maturity in the family of Yahweh depends increasingly on my faithfulness in living out who I am. Coming into the family takes nothing from us. But becoming mature children of God, well, that takes a lot. He gives me his spirit, his body, his encouragement to help me do that. But he expects me to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. And it's an increasing responsibility, a grace-enabled responsibility to be sure. But it is my responsibility to learn how to be a full member of God's kingdom. First Timothy, or 2 Timothy 2, Paul says, do your best to present yourself, God, as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2, James 1, very similar, talking about people going through extreme persecution, extreme suffering. Bless the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, same thing, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised those who love him. And what God is saying here in this passage is he wants us to be those people who can enjoy the freedom of blessing that comes through maturity and that responsive obedience. But that's our responsibility. He finishes up here with a, another profound picture. Even of being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. Drink offering? Like, what's that? Well, a drink offering is something that happens in the Jewish sacrificial life. They would do a sacrifice. They would say, sacrifice a lamb. And they would take part of the lamb, and they would put it on the altar. They would be burned. But before they would burn it, they would take some wine, the drink, and they'd pour this wine over the top of the sacrifice. And then that wine, the alcohol in the wine, would be a part of what lit the fire to do the sacrifice to God. And what he is describing himself is like a drink offering put over the top of the offering of their responsive service in the power that comes between those two. And he realizes his death, which seems to be imminent, is a drink offering and in this place of death as he's sitting in a prison anticipating being tortured to death he says I'm glad and rejoice and he calls them to rejoice with him not the involuntary giggle of a wonderful meal but the deep satisfaction that knows that we're a part of the family of God and get to participate with him in good times and bad. Let's think about it a bit. We are not saved by works, but we are saved for works. And the distinction's important to remember. Ephesians chapter 2 
It is by grace you've been saved. Through faith, it is not of yourselves. It is a gift to God, not by works, so no one can boast. But it doesn't stop there. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. See, we're not created, we're not saved by our works. We're not brought in the family of God by doing good things. But in the family of God, we are to do good things, living out, working out the salvations in it. We have a new identity, child of God. We have a new heart. The deepest desires have changed through being born again. We have a new power, the indwelling Holy Spirit. And all of these are ours by gift of God. That's that part of that acceptance, part of coming into the family. We're given all kinds of rich blessings, totally of gift. And then we respond to that. We activate them by responsive obedience. A daily warfare, really, because the world and the flesh and the devil come against us powerfully, pushing us back into that place of grumbling and arguing, of contempting God, of despising the good things he gives us is not good enough. We activate these new things by that responsive obedience that focuses on who we are and the privilege we have to be a part of that grace force that takes that newness to a world that really needs to have it. I think of that statistic that 75% of the people living around our building here at Grace Community Church are people that don't yet know Jesus Christ. I think how in the world can you go through the stuff in this life if you don't know Jesus? When I finish up here today, I'll go across the river to Vancouver, Shasta Kramer, longtime friend, longtime crew missionary, lost her long battle to cancer. And we'll have a memorial service this afternoon. And many of us will gather together there and remember the incredible sacrifice of Shasta Kramer and the beauty of her spirit. And we'll mourn the fact that this young woman, barely 40 years old, is not with us anymore. And we'll celebrate the impact she had on all kinds of lives. See, and that's the kind of joy that comes in the midst of the terrible loss. We celebrate on the good things that God has done. And as I'm there at the memorial this afternoon, I'll be there with friends, many I don't know, but many I do, and I remember back to when she first got the diagnosis of the reoccurrence of her breast cancer and I sat with her for an hour at the crew conference, Christmas conference, and prayed with my friend. Deep prayers. We begged God to do her healing. She probably lived three years longer than she should have medically and touched many lives. But it's hard to go through that. We'll remember the praise of Jesus Christ at that point. That's what we look at. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves this God this way is pleasing God and receives human approval. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. See, it's so easily given to grumbling. So easy to look at what's not here. 
So easy to focus on the work of the devil, the work of stupid people, and miss the grace of what God does, and that's what God is calling us to, is to do that. Now, one thing I need to do is I need to teach you that you don't have to all smile and agree. In fact, there's a place to complain constructively. Because everything is not. There are times when I don't understand. I don't like. That seems wrong to me. How do you, how do you complain without grumbling? Because grumbling is toxic to your soul. Com- complaining is actually necessary for the unity and harmony of the body. And what you do, there's a kind of a formula in situation X when you did Y, uh, sorry, in situation A when you did B, I felt Z, I'd like you to do D. See, grumbling is what they did to God in the wilderness when there was no food. You're a terrible God, you're out here to kill us. See, that's contempting, that's grumbling. Instead of, Lord, we're in the desert, There is no food. I feel afraid. I'd like you to bring me something to eat. How different that would have been. That's what Abraham did when God said you'll have a child and he's now 90, his wife is 80, and there's no child. Genesis 15. He complained to God in this way. We need to learn in our relationships, family relationships, church relationships, friend relationships, how to complain well without grumbling and contempting. Now, can I tell you safely as an old elder, I want you to complain about things at Grace like this, because this is a good thing. Worship team, come on up here. We are to be a sign of God's new life in the world. And the way we do that is refuse to fall into the priorities to refuse to fall into the grumbling that's part of the world. Instead, we come with a humility instead of an arrogance. We come with one mind instead of fighting over everything. We come with living in harmony, rich diversity and unison around Jesus. We come without grumbling. We complain, yes, but we don't grumble with blameless and pure children of God, remembering who we are as children shining, because it's a way different thing doing this than living in the ways of the world, rejoicing out of responsive obedience to remember the good things God has done, and then we come with a gratitude. So different. J. Mack discovered a song that has really touched me deeply. It's called, For the One, Jen Johnson. She and Brian founded Hillsong, or founded Bethel Music uh, down at Bethel Reading. And they've touched the world with the work they've done through Bethel Music. Their commitment is family. Their commitment is unity. Their commitment is rejoicing. And Jen, she's passionate worshiper. You can watch her on YouTube. But it's never just Jen. It seems it's always Jen and Brian. There's a story. Jen, 12 years old, going to camp, saw the pastor's son. Bill Johnson the pastor. Brian is the son. He's the worship leader. He's the coolest guy ever. What does she do? Huge crush. 
12 years old, pastor's son, no chance. 17, the family moved to Bethel to go to the school of ministry there. She's around Brian a fair bit, not one-on-one, -on -one, but in groups, and she just, oh my gosh, the crush is going crazy. She's 17 years old. She goes in the prayer chapel there and prays to God, God, this is just messing me up big time. I need you to take this away, but if he's my guy, I'd like to know that. She walks out of the prayer chapel. Brian walks out of the staff offices, sees her, and says, could we talk for a minute? They go back in the office, and he says, you have everything I want in a wife. <laughs> Skips all the, let's have coffee, let's date. <laughs> She's kind of taken aback, mentioned she'd just been in the prayer chapel, says, I'll pray. Next day, she comes back, and God has said yes. Ten days later, he proposes. Seven months later, they're married, and you see the result. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But she focuses there. In this tweet, a little hard to read, when people throw stones at you, you can choose to throw them back, to stumble on them, to climb over them, or to build with them. That's the harder we're doing. This song is, I love the lyrics, help me to love with open arms like you do, a love that erases all the lines and sees the truth. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.